0: You are listening to She Leads with Carly. Our guest today is Beck Holland, the co-founder and CEO of Flip the Script, a hub to receive sales training for free. I absolutely loved my chat with Beck. We talk about how she navigated her career, graduating from Texas A&M, how she found her way into sales, which is a role that she has loved since age of seven, and then having the courage to leave her job to go full time with Flip the Script. She shares lessons in facing rejection, some common misconceptions about entrepreneurship, and so much more. Take a listen and enjoy. All right. Hello, Beck. Thank you for coming on to She Leads with Carly. I am so excited to have you on this show. So thanks for joining me.
1: No, thanks for having me. I'm pumped to be here. Of
0: course. So Beck, you are the CEO and co-founder of Flip the Script, a free sales training hub. And the release is coming up very soon, so I'm very excited for you, and we'll obviously get into that. But prior to Flip the Script, you were Director of Sales Leadership at Sales Hacker, Head of Sales Development at Chorus AI, even before that, Regional VP of Business Development at G2. So we'll get through all of that, but, Beck, take me back to your 21, 22-year-old self, you know, graduating from Texas A&M with a degree in Business Administration and Marketing. So yes. at this point, you know, it seems like the major was pretty similar in the same vein. Did you know what you wanted to go into or how were you navigating this time?
1: I, I did, actually. So I, for a brief moment, um, I, uh, not brief moment, I thought at one point I really loved law. Actually, so I um, I'm one credit short of a Spanish minor, and I am I specified in business law when I was at A and M, just because I loved business law classes, management law classes, you know, tort law classes, um, and I, I took a discrimination law class, and I really really liked it, just the cerebral aspect of it. So I actually interned at a municipal court when I was at A and for mm-hmm. free, and I took my LSAT uh for fun. Yeah. Like <laughs> for fun. And I thought like, okay, I love this idea of going into law. Um and over time, as I worked in the municipal court, I'm like, I like the idea of being a lawyer, uh, but I don't actually like what I see on the back end of like it's just a lot of paperwork yeah. and there's just not a lot of passion, you know, et cetera. Like it's not like it is on the uh on the uh TV screen. Um so I was actually planning on going to law school and, uh, you know, sent out some applications and, and got accepted to a couple schools. And then last minute, I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to pivot to sales. I'm going to pivot to sales and I'm going to see what this thing is like because I know from a very early age that I love selling. So I'm like, instead of going this law path, why don't I just go into sales like I had originally planned, you know, oh, since cool. I was like seven years old. Yeah. And then if I want to get into law later, I'll get into law later.
0: Oh my God, that's crazy. So did you have people, mentors, your parents telling you, you know, stick with law? Like we know, you know, lawyer, medicine, all of those like conventional paths. Did you have people saying, you know, stick with that? It's more secure than sales or no?
1: Um, I, I didn't. So I actually, I, my parents just wanted me to be happy, you know, whatever path that took. And they knew that from, I mean, since I was little, I was selling like door to door, you know, whatever fundraisers. Like I remember, um, we were talking about before the show, um, you know, playing soccer. It's like, I, you'd have tons of fundraisers like poinsettias and fruit and like all these, and I would take my brothers and sisters fundraisers because I love selling and I'm like oh yes like I get to sell cookie dough today mm-hmm. so I'd like go you know to my my neighbors you know and knock down their doors and and um you know try to get them to buy some products so I love selling from very early age so I I certainly didn't have you know my parents were surprised by the law thing and I think I just really like the cerebral end of it and like how to stack arguments and whatever um uh, so, uh, they, they just wanted me to be happy, but I do think they were a little sad that they had blown, um, you know, uh, <laughs> close to $1,500 on a, uh, Princeton review course where I prepped my LSAT just to take it for fun. They're like, can't you just be normal and like go out to a bar or whatever and, you know, yeah. shoot shots with, uh, you know, whatever, some friends that you have. I'm like, what friends I'm taking the LSAT for fun. Oh, okay. Like Let's- It's not like I I'm killing it in the friend <laughs> category, though. <so. laughs> You
0: know. that's amazing so okay when you made that transition to sales how was how was that transition or how did you you know what role did you find how did you find that right company how did you how did you navigate it
1: yeah so I um I interviewed with probably in the realm of 50 companies when okay. I was at AM just because I liked interviewing I, I really liked you know selling them um you know on that I was the perfect candidate for them and I like talking to people and I just remember myself in my suit, you know, the one suit that I had, but yeah. Uh, yeah. So I interviewed with probably 50 companies. I limited it down to 10 and then I ended up going with um, a company that sold mechanical construction projects, heating, light, lighting, cooling, plumbing to school districts and governmental buildings. Yeah. Um, and the transition, I mean, I think everyone uh, would, I, I guess everyone would share this opinion. It's a little tough going from college to, you know, your entire experience has been learning to, okay, now I'm in the work world and there's no summer and there's no semester. And like, this is a longer term project. Um, but, uh, you know, I adapted, I would say pretty well, uh, meaning, you know, as, as well as you can coming in the market in 2008, when there was a huge, uh, you know, crash in the market, but Um, I, my experience, I, I I don't think there's necessarily a right company. I think, you know, your first company, you come in and you roll the dice and try to find one that you really agree with, um, ethically, morally, um, and like the product, um, but yeah, the the transition was was interesting, um, you know, to come in from a full-time learning environment to a full-time, like, okay, this is my job now, and yeah. this is what I do, uh, and now I'm in corporate America, and everything that I, I told my parents I would never be, I saw, all of a sudden am. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. Okay, so I have to ask, because... You know, Beck, I don't know if you've realized, but you're very unique in the fact that you love interviews and a lot of people hate them or it's like, you know, very nerve wracking. It's the thing that they they that they that are scared about and all of that. So advice in the interviews, like how, how do you go into it? What advice can you give a new grad entering the workplace? And if you can add on to, you know, interviews over Zoom, because this is a whole new world that we're in. So,
1: yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's interesting. Uh, yeah. So, uh, interviews, my advice to new, new grads would be, uh, I would interview the company just as much as they're interviewing you, not in a disrespectful manner or not in a, I'm going to bring up all their dirty laundry Mm -hmm. and get them to talk about it. But I would know that, you know, there's a lot of companies that are hiring, like you can work, you know, respectfully, you can work anywhere. Um, so it's I would want to be interested in. Uh, is there a coaching culture? Is there a mentorship culture? Like, what's the training program? What are the variables that I care about? What do I really, really want coming into a job? So I think something that I made a mistake early on is I just thought, well, I want money, you know. Like I want to, want a company that gives me money. And it's like, yeah. So you know, most companies pay you, right? So they're gonna they're gonna pay you no matter what. So I think um, my advice would be to find a company you know, in the interview process to always come prepared, obviously, like know who you're talking to in the room, Stock them, go to their LinkedIn, figure out all the things that they've done, drop casually a couple of different things that they've done, you know, in the nascent stages of the conversation, just so they know you, they're reassured that you've done your research. Um, I try to know their product as much um, as possible and uh, know their competitors. really hate their competitors, like at the base of them. So I would know them just in case you're, you're asked that, but, you know, really my biggest advice is, um, there's a certain amount of questions. I always predicate when I'm interviewing someone, a candidate, I always predicate, um, the majority of uh, my opinion on them, on the types of questions that they ask me. Mm -hmm. So I would think through some really thoughtful questions to them that make them see you as, um, Number one, that you get the information that you're after. But number two, um, you know, make them see you as someone who's more strategic yeah. by the questions that you ask uh, yeah. would be my my biggest advice. But you always want to know really who the company is uh, before you start, you yeah. know, start working. I forward.
0: love it. I think I think it relates to a good sales tip in terms of, you know, making it personal and just, you know, knowing the person beforehand. And, and sure. just as much as you're as they're talking to you and testing you, you're also talking to them and testing them. So I think that's yeah. great. Okay, so now tell me, you know, as you're starting your career and you're transitioning, tell me about your career trajectory. So, you know, going to G two, you know, Core AI. How was that process? How did you know when to, you know, go from job to job? What What were you asking yourself?
1: Yeah, so um, my career trajectory has been messy. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> been uh, very interesting to say the least. So I was an account executive, a full cycle account executive and closer for my first five years of my career. Yeah. Um, I went into music for a bit, meaning I was a uh, booking agent for tours and, mm-hmm. you know, worked at several different venues in Dallas and kind of figured out what I want. Um, but I almost see it in two stages. I was an account executive back uh, in Texas, and then I moved to Silicon Valley uh, to San Francisco. And I took a quote unquote step back to be an SDR to understand the ecosystem before I went back into a closing role. And I, I fell in love with the role at that point and um, worked for a couple different companies from there. As far as um, advice or how to know when it's uh, time to move on, I, I think uh, the most important thing to me, uh, which you very rarely see this in the industry, but I made a commitment to myself very early on that if someone, um, within reason, didn't see value mm. in me and wasn't uh, investing in me and didn't challenge me. So I want the kind of person that's get, you know not always going to say yes and not always yeah. going to say no. Um, if I didn't have that person at a company, then I made the choice to move on. Yeah. So you know, I I think it's very, very difficult to get someone if they just don't see value, um, in someone, I think it's, it's very difficult to convince them otherwise. And so I think, uh, the biggest, uh, ammo in my, uh, bucket, certainly in the latter stages of my career has been, um, the, uh, courage to walk away from situations that weren't getting me even the situations that were doing mediocre for me of I want the best right I want the situations for me that are the best and I want to challenge myself to be the best in those situations so I think the strongest uh one of the strongest um arrows in your quiver can be uh the courage and the um propensity to walk away from a situation that is not delivering to the standard that that you want it to be delivered. It's probably an odd answer. No, um I think that's true. Yeah. yeah, that that that's something that was a uh certainly not a learned behavior for me, not yeah. inbred in me um at the onset, but it was something looking back that that commitment to um to only work uh in those great scenarios with those great people and striving for that. Is probably one of the key uh, key uh, yeah things uh, that led me to the path that I'm on.
0: I love it. I think that's great. And so, kind of on the same vein, is the idea where you know people in sales they're very good at dealing with rejection. You know, they're used to no. They're used to people saying no and then just really moving on or trying a different route and trying to get to that yes. So. It feels like, you know, when you don't find that person who sees your value and you move on, it's almost like a sort of rejection, and you're you're moving on to another company. So how do you deal with rejection? or what what mentality, what mindset do you take on to? kind of embrace rejection, embrace failure? How do you deal with that? And then we'll move on to flip the script and all of that. But yeah, I'd love to know
1: more. Yeah. So, I mean, I wouldn't actually say that most salespeople are great at at getting rejection. You know, that's why we don't like making cold calls all the time is because rejection is really, really tough. Um, But as far as, uh, yeah, as as far as uh, how you handle it, I mean, I, I think it's less of a rejection game in my mind. It's more so if someone... If someone doesn't see the value um, in me as a person, yeah. you know, and what I can offer, then well, the answer is I need to walk. I don't need to sit there and convince someone mm, to yeah. see potential in me, right? You can't do it even if you wanted to. And the only way arguably to do it is to walk, mm-hmm. uh, is then they'll, they'll see a little bit uh, shining light. But as far as... Um, you know how to deal with rejection. I think that it's very important for salespeople to disassociate their performance with their identity. Mm. Which, for people who do very well, is very very tough, and for people who struggle to do well, is even more critical. So everyone's going to have a bad time in their career, and if you're basing yourself off of uh, your identity, off of your performance, then all of a sudden you start thinking because I didn't hit quota, I'm a bad person, mm. and Start spiraling. So, you know, Michael Phelps is a great example of someone who's extremely successful. And then on the back end, he said, like, I'm really messed up and I need therapy and I need X, yeah. Y, and Z. So it's like, you know, I saw a quote one day that said Michael Jordan, if he was in therapy, wouldn't have been Michael Jordan, right? Yeah. Sometimes it, that level of um, performance is because of something a little bit deeper uh, and darker. And so for the long term, for work-life balance and for your own sanity, I think it's very important when when handling rejection that not to view it as this person is rejecting me uh, or, you know, uh, this person is rejecting my pitch and because my pitch wasn't good, I'm a bad person. But to disassociate those things and say like, hey, you know, my character and who I am are is different from my skill level in the sales room Mm -hmm. um, so that you're not so variable. But I mean, it's it's always going to be a relationship. I say that very easily. And it's a very difficult thing to do. So I think it's a lifelong journey for most people, certainly myself included, of you know, separating these two things so that during the lows, you're not sitting in your bedroom like you know with the sheets over your head, eating yeah. ice cream, crying your eyes out because you think you're terrible. Yeah. And then you in highs, you're not the the prick that no one wants to deal with because you think you're amazing. So yeah, yeah. I think that's my my biggest key to rejection is disassociating the two and know that if someone's rejecting um, rejecting you, usually they're rejecting your approach or your pitch. And so it's like, okay, I need to work on those two. It's usually not the product innate, yeah. you know? Um, but in either case scenario, whether I'm, I'm successful or not, like it doesn't take a toll on who I am as a person. I think wow. it's my smart.
0: I love that. I really love that. I've never actually heard it like that. And I'm glad you brought up Michael Phelps, Michael Jordan. Cause you know, we were talking before this about soccer, being on the bench, all of that. It's I could relate a lot to that, you know, at Stanford, student athletes in general, that's a common thing where you think, you know, your playing time is your worth. Like that's who you are as a, so I think that's very important. So I love that you said that. So take me now to, you know, G2 and then Chorus AI. So you were working, but you started working something on the side and this is what turned into Flip the Script. So tell me a little bit about this.
1: Yeah. So I kind of fell, um, butt backwards as they say, and to flip the script, yeah. but essentially, um, I'd worked for a number of companies, four companies in the Bay area, three of them, uh, all of them within MarTech or sales tech. Mm-hmm. Um, but three very related to one another. And, um, my first company, you know, I led my, I was an SDR for like six months. And then I, um, I, uh, my CRO came in one day and he said, Hey, I, I want you to lead a global team. And I'm like, uh, why? <laughs> I'm like, I'm like your classic selfish individual contributor who thinks they're the bomb and like, you know, rubs it in everyone's face. Like why on earth would you think I'm a good leader? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, I'm too selfish to coach anyone. Um, you know, point blank. And he said, um, he said, uh, whether you're selfish or not is another topic for another time. Yeah. Uh, that I do think you love coaching. Cause he said, I've seen you. And with these account executives and I was an account executive in my former life. Right. And so I'd set these appointments and I'd go into their calls with them, you know, to like intro and I'd mute the microphone and I would tell them like, ask this question or say this thing. And he yeah. goes, the bizarre thing is they're listening to you. Like they're hypothetically ahead of you career wise. <laughs> they're in AE, wow. you're in SD and they're listening to you. And he said, and their conversion rates are bumping up because of it. So he said, whether you're selfish or not, you know, again, that's, that's to be uh, a conversation we had over drinks sometime. He was like, but I think that you love helping people. And I think you love coaching. So, you know, I was like, all right, I'm gonna roll the dice and and do this thing. So I got to lead a global team. And at that company, um, I developed a litany of theories, I was running into a lot of like, quote, unquote, problems with you Know the funnel not being a true funnel, or like, why is there a gap between what marketing thinks they're producing and what sales development thinks they're producing and what sales is producing? Like, why is there such a palpable difference?
0: Yeah.
1: And uh, I started to daydream about different theories. I'm like, well, this doesn't make sense. And they'd be like, oh, well, it's best in practice. I'm like, well, but it's not giving us the result that we want. Yeah. So I started banging down the doors of like different enterprise companies in the Bay Area and you know, mid market companies and saying, like, hey, surely it's just us surely it's us that has it wrong. And I'm the one that has it wrong. And I'm, you know, I'm dumb, dumb coming, you know, into uh, the bay. And so I'm like, you know, tell me what your plan is so that I can understand how to do this correctly. And I came to uncover that most companies were at the same stage I was at, if not worse. And so I'm like, okay, so these are some more global problems, you know, that people have, this is more than just this one off case. So um I uh had developed not only an, a litany of problems, but a litany of you know proposed solution that you know no one had ever done before or saw it that way. And so I was very uh I saw the world a certain way and I wanted to see if some of these um some of these theories were correct, so um or at least you know got us into a better state. So TLDR I went to a second company and I started to work for them um that was a pretty it had a reputation for being innovative and pushing the line and so I'm like well we'll see um so I jumped on on board and started deploying a bunch of these theories to figure figure them out um number of them were wildly successful some of them you know needed some work but by the time I got to G2 um I had continued to build out these theories and I had seen it, some of these theories 4 X, the numbers for my reps. And so I simply wanted to flip the script. The beginning of it was I'm like, I want to teach random reps how to do what I did just to help them because we had, you know, four X quota. So I started a after hours series where I literally just made a LinkedIn post. You can go back and look at it. My history, it's like a year or two years ago. And I said, uh, basically, does anyone want free training? <laughs> like, I'll give you pizza, come after hours, so it won't hurt, hurt your work life or my work work life, and let's just show up. And all of a sudden, I had 200 people in the room ready for training. And I'm like, who, who are you? Like, why, why I, I'm kind of judging you a little bit. I'm like, why are you here? I'm a nobody, you know, at this point. No one knows who I am. And so I just started training people you know, aggressively after hours for free of like, okay, I got a room of 200 people. Like here's the deck pizzas over there and let's get started. And so that was the beginning of flip the script. Um, I, I then took it on to chorus and it turned it into a 23 video YouTube series. And we saw some pretty, um, pretty stunning numbers and then took it on to where I basically took it on the road and went on a tour toward nine different cities and just, you know, shelved this information, very organic, like, Hunger Games, Fight Club, you know, like organic style, like, hey, just show up and, and we're just going to get you as much information as we can kind of, uh, kind of thing. So that was the beginning of Full Descript.
0: That's crazy. And I think the craziest thing is, it was all organic. And like you said, crazy numbers, but it was like in the 1000s, like how many 1000 were watching your first videos? (laughs)
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I, I basically recorded these videos. It was like 1130 PM. So I convinced Chorus. I'm like, look, you don't have to give me budget. You don't have to give me any money. So let's just take this, you know, guy who works internally, let's turn on the camera and I'll start talking, you know, Mm -hmm. cause I, I was just bursting with these theories that I weren't theories anymore. They were working. You know, especially at Chorus, you know, I came on, I took the same uh theory that I did the first company, I learned how to scale it at G2 using Outreach as a sales engagement vendor. Yeah. And then when I came, uh, you know, I called Outreach and I said, Hey, I need one license and I have an idea and I think it can help you IPO. Yeah. And they're like, Who the hell is this? And I'm like, Okay. So I learned how to scale it through outreach. And by the time I came to Chorus, you know, we 7 x our numbers within a month, and so Really, you know, from Horace's perspective, it was like, I was like, look, we'll do it no budget. And we will, uh, meaning just give me the guy internally who knows how to record stuff. And so I just grabbed a pen, went to a whiteboard and recorded 23 videos. And we started seeing, you know, 10,000 views, no mark, you know, no marketing, all organic. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, I'm in a beanie and it's 1130. (laughs) And there's a diet Red Bull. And I'm like, okay, this, I don't know what this is. Crazy. But that's got to be something, right? Um, so I, I started seeing companies do outreach and they were like, hey, I've been watching your videos. And I'm like, you're Oracle. Like, if I had known your company was watching it, I would have taken off the beanie and put some mascara <laughs> <that steer> on.
0: <laughs> oh my goodness, that's insane. Okay, so then, you know, obviously there's something there. People need it. They need your content. And, you know, clearly now you are far from a nobody on LinkedIn. Um, just by watching your videos on LinkedIn and whatnot. So at what point did you say, okay, this is a real thing. Like I should full-time, I need to go full-time. And I actually watched one of your LinkedIn videos and you said, I'm scared, but I'm more scared to not do it. So take yeah. me through this, you know, this mindset where you were like, you know what, I have to, I have to give it full-time.
1: Yeah. So I honestly, I got to the breaking point where I understood um I'm like, all of that was on no budget and very limited time, right? I was still running a team. I still was running a BDR team, shelving out content for chorus, you know, working with our partners, you know, et cetera. And I'm like, okay, the tour I basically was doing in my after hours time. And I'm like, okay, if this was the, if this was the response from something that I spent so little time on. I just started dreaming of a world where I could do it full time, and I could throw all of my hours into it. And so, um, really, the decision was, and kind of to our point earlier, Chorus was a phenomenal company. Yeah. But I had the conversation like, "Look, this really doesn't make sense for any vendor. Mm-hmm. Meaning, you're a sales ICP, but I use 15 different pieces of tech." to get this goal right I use sales engagement and data providers and you know uh what video gifting like all these different providers crm etc yeah and so I just realized at one point I'm like I don't want to be you know 65 thinking that I could have done this um and everyone in the market had given me indication that they were into it and I I took that response as nothing other than the responsibility that I owed them more of like, hey, I put this LinkedIn ad up thinking not in a million years would it work. And then you guys rewarded me. It felt like, honestly, it sounds insane, but it felt like the universe stopped what they were doing to help me. Cause I had so much help along the way where people were stacking chairs in the beginning and unstacking chairs, and oh, let me, you know, help with the advertisements and da-da-da. And I'm like, I have had such a um, fun crowd respond and they are communicating to me that they're finding value from this. And so I'm like, I owe it to them to get over whatever fear that I have. And I'm like, the fear is ultimately like you we were talking about earlier, like that'll fail right. and that it won't work. And, you know, and that, uh, whatever, I'll run out of money, or, you know, I don't know how to monetize to begin with, or, you know, people will say, who does she think she is? Or, you know, like, can she really pivot the industry? You know, can we do it via this vehicle? But I'm like, that's scary. But what's scarier to me is the vision of being in some kind of like Cheddar's or Bennigan's or Chili's when I'm 65, talking to some random dude with a Bud Light saying Mm -hmm. like, oh, no, I when he asked me, what do you do? And I'm like, well, you know, I I don't want to have the glory days conversation where the glory days weren't actually real, right, of like, where I'm describing some little series, YouTube series that I may or may not have, you know, had a couple of views on. So I'm like, I owe it to that community to throw, you know, roll the dice, get over whatever, you know, complex that I have and fear that I have. And grow this thing with everyone together. Yeah,
0: oh, I love it. I think that mentality is is huge, and that's what makes you an incredible leader. Which, by the way, it is crazy the fact that you you know you didn't think yourself as a leader telling your boss you know like why me? Whereas now you're starting your own company, so I would say you're quite an effective and incredible leader. But anyway, um, so tell me, Beck, how has how has this process been? You know, you are doing flip the script full time. So what are some, like, misconceptions about, you know, entrepreneurship? And from my understanding, you've been working upwards of 100 hours a week. So, like, how has that been mentally, physically, everything?
1: Yeah. So I think uh, common misconceptions, I mean, I'll tell you when I'm an entrepreneur for for much longer, but, um, you know, I think... uh, I I first saw that I'm like, okay, the workload in the beginning is going to be, it's just going to be outlandish, especially knowing me of, I'm like, okay, I want everything to go very, very well, you know, within the first uh, year. So I hired all agencies to really collaborate with me from a design perspective, from, you know, automation perspective, from, uh, you know, videographers, et cetera. So I had the luxury of hiring working with in the past, very, very talented agencies um, who are enabling me to, you know, basically content create the whole day. But, um, you know, I think uh, common misconceptions about, uh, yeah, uh, I think something that I have run into that I did not expect is, um, I was assuming there was going to be this period uh, where I was just starving artist, you know, da da da, where I was like this martyr, you know, on the floor. And my experience so far is that people are willing to help you as long as you're willing to lose your ego to ask. Wow. Um, yeah. So that's that's something that has been instrumental to me that I feel like every person around me, um, you know, I, I like to hold people to an insatiably high bar, myself included. So my kind of tagline is. I, I mean some people have people who've worked for me call me the the snow queen, um, that it's like excellence without compromise of like, okay, if we don't get it right, we're gonna keep doing it until we do. Um yeah. you know, within reason. But um I've had the I've had the luxury of having people around me that share in that vision and share in that standard and share in that uh commitment to make everything um make everything high quality and also to lose our ego enough to say like, even if we create this high quality thing, that doesn't mean we're a high, we're not the bomb, right? Like we are going to make mistakes. We are going to run into things where we did something wrong, where we, you know, had an oopsie moment or this doesn't look that good or whatever. And instead of saying like, oh, I'm going to publish anyway, just say, Hey, that thing sucked. And let's do it over and let's lose our ego enough to say like, Hey, we don't have it all figured out, but as a team, let's all, let's always try to be 1% better than we were um, yesterday. Um, So it, I I think the common misconception is that people won't help you. And there's some grind area where you have to be the starving artist on the floor. Um, But, you know, again, my experience is that, um, you know people are are willing to help you as so long as your conviction is really really strong about what you're you're thinking about doing.
0: Yeah. I love it. I think that's great. Okay, so before we go to fun questions, so Flip the Script is is live very soon about a, when this is yeah. released it'll be about a week. So what are you yeah. what are you most excited about and what what can people expect or what do you want to share about it?
1: Yeah, so um, people are probably going to view this. or so about three weeks at, uh, out now from launch, uh, three weeks as of yesterday. But people are probably going to view this a week out, so yeah. I can give a little bit more detail. But um, I'm most excited. It is a – I haven't told many people of what it is because I, I wanted to protect the integrity of the concept, but it, it's a free training hub, So and it's not going to be high-level material. Like, it's going to be all in – full decks, full like granular level training for free to people. All they'll need is a business email. And so I'm the most excited that um, I will never say um, that I'm a good trainer and I would never, never have the temerity to say I'm the best. However, I'm excited for individual contributors or leaders or whoever wants to watch the video has no negative repercussion from watching this video. So that's what makes me excited is that the industry will finally uh, have a free resource, you know, trainer full time to basically go to and go very, very, um, you know, in depth and in the weeds with them. So that's what makes me thrilled is, um, you know, so far the community, what it's, it's proved to me, I originally was creating these videos to basically say, I want to create these so detailed to where you don't need me. You know, you don't need to ask me anything. Like you can do this approach without me was my goal. And that created uh, a culture with that community that basically they are shelving me back all of their research or like all of their deployment of it saying like, hey, I 2x, 3x, 4x, whatever. Here's some emails and here's an idea and it's created this culture where I'm building using that community's ideas. I'm like, oh, that's really interesting. Can you teach me how you did that hook? And so I'm excited. Number one, that it's going to be free to everyone, and that they can have that as a, a resource. Um, and number two, that it, it, at least in my experience with it so far, it creates this culture where we are truly building together. Where they're telling me, you know, how they deployed it, you know, what the success rate uh, uh, of it was, and some things that they added to it. And sometimes I trim those and I, you know, add them into the process. So that's probably the most exciting for me is that it's going to be the first, from what I know of first in depth, free resource for people to, you know, of all ages, you know, sizes, colors, rules, etc., to be able to access whenever they want.
0: Wow. So excited. That's amazing. That's so exciting. (laughs) Okay. So Beck, tell me now, what is, a passion or hobby that you have that's just completely unrelated to your work?
1: Yeah, so not many. I (laughs) I think that I struggled with this question the most, probably. Um, You know, but I would say I I have a lot of really ad hoc... um, I wouldn't call them passions. I think that's a strong word, but things I'm interested in. (laughs) I um, love Taylor Swift, for instance. I love Anna Wintour from... She's the chief editor of Vogue. So I love um, fashion specifically watches and specifically shoes. I'm a big fan of, yeah. um, I, uh, love actually a niche that, uh, very few people know about me. I love, uh, dance. I love to watch ballet, um, is something that I, I, even from a very early age, like I remember watching these like cult movies, like, uh, uh, center stage, you know, center and I'm like, stage. well, I'm in Yeah. I'm like, I'm in soccer and so I'm not flexible. And so I love watching ballet. I do not know how to dance ballet in any, uh, any regard, but yeah, I I would say, um, there's a lot of niche passions that I have. Uh, Jack Dorsey is a muse of mine. He's work related, but a muse of mine. Elon Musk, I absolutely love, um, uh, yeah, so I I, those that. are uh, those are a couple of my passions. But oh, man. really, I, think I gravitate towards in all fields, people who push the needle, who weren't an egomaniac, um, but who also held themselves accountable in their field to, you know, like I'll never forget this video that I saw, and I can't remember her name, but it was a swimmer um, about eight years ago who was at the Olympics and had broken the record. Um, I can't even remember her event, but she was – so far ahead of the world record and she was still aggressively swimming, right. Yeah. You know, like she was racing against herself at that point. And so I like to find people in their field that are swimming against themselves of like Jack Dorsey is not swimming against anyone. Right. Elon Musk isn't swimming against anyone. Right. Yeah. Um, but essentially they are com- not competing with themselves, but they are innovating, you know, against the, the, the line that they set. So I like to, um, I like to see people in their fields, you know, ballet is a great uh great instance. Um, you know, of people that are are just so good um but they keep going because they don't know how to operate in any other way. Yeah,
0: I love it. So, I could I could relate to that quite a bit actually. I have two older sisters, they dance their whole life. My mom, really? my mom put me into ballet. I hated it. I cried. <laughs> I hated it so much, but now I love watching dance. Center Stage great movie. I watched So You Think You Can Dance, like all of those. Yeah, I love dance. So it's quite quite weird. But anyway, I can relate. Okay, Beck, last question. So what is a fun or weird talent that you have that no one really knows about? So a hidden talent. So I'm going to go first, all right? So what I do... Oh, that takes
1: the press off That's good. That's good. What
0: I do is I throw blueberries into my mouth, all right? So we're going to see how this goes. All right.
1: I I hope it works.
0: There we go. success
1: I was gonna burst into tears if you didn't get it
0: it's okay (laughs) by now I know the throw I know everything we're good
1: you got it down um hidden talent uh I don't have many because I'm probably too much of a blabbermouth about talents (laughs) uh but uh hidden talent that no one knows about uh I I've got Two, one a little bit more serious, one uh, completely of zero use. Uh, Actually, both can be of zero use. My memory is uh, very close to eidetic. Um, So I remember, uh, especially visually, uh, not so much audio, but um, visually I can remember uh, things that people were wearing. Like I can remember the clip whenever I saw you. I saw you uh, in some film that you did where about being at Stanford and being a student oh, yeah. of some kind of like engineering organization with uh, a guy was saying that there was a select, Oh, entrepreneurs,
0: right. It was an entrepreneur fellow. thing.
1: Yes. And he did a video and I can remember what you were wearing on the field, wow. you know, not in a creepy sense of <laughs> like, I can just remember where you were standing and, and what you were, the uniform that you were wearing. So, yeah. uh, my memory, unfortunately, uh, is is pretty granular in terms of colors shapes you know sizes Amazing. where people were standing etc um okay. but I think by and large it creeps people out because it makes them think I'm obsessed with them <laughs> yeah. uh, you can ask a lot of my ex-boyfriends uh you know <laughs> that it makes them think that I'm like crazy into them when I'm like no no, no. That's just how I wake up. Like, you remember, know? remember that shirt
0: you wore on January 1st? And the, wow, that's, that's so And they're funny.
1: like ladies in deep, you know? Um, so it has definitely hurt me in some cases. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm not obsessed with you. Yes. I just remember what you were wearing and how you smelled and where you were standing at the time. So that's a more serious one. Oh, um, but Thank I do you. have one that's just random ad hoc. I can... Um, and my friends have tested me. I can buy feel alone, blindfolded, pick out like the perfectly ripe avocado in a grocery store. And I don't even eat avocado that much. Like I'll do guacamole, but I won't eat it. I'm not one of those like vegan, you know, in the raw kind of people. Yeah. So I can blindfolded, pick out the perfect avocado in a stack just by touch alone. And then they open it and they're like, dang it. There's no bruises. You know, it's not hard. So, like, it's the perfect one.
0: <laughs> so, do you mean? So, I have to clarify this, and then, and then we'll wrap it up. But I have to clarify. So, finding a ripe avocado is by touch. So, are you saying like just by not touching each one, or no,
1: by not by not, uh, uh, no I sight? See. Like a lot of times, people a uh, based on skin or color. They'll say like, oh, oh, "Okay, I, I think this one is better." I don't even need that. A uh, like, <laughs> I don't even need the the uh, uh, no, uh, visual of it. Of like, I can just navigate to the perfect one and then open it and there's never a bruise in it. And they're like, this is the perfectly ripe avocado.
0: Incredible. I would say that's very, very useful, especially in I, my, my family. So
1: I mean, is it, uh, you're scrounging here. Is it really?
0: Don't worry. I'll say it's very useful. But anyway, Beck, I love this. It's been so fun. Thank you so much for coming on the show, love just it. sharing so many valuable pieces of advice. And I'm just so excited to release this for others to learn as well. So thank you.
1: No, thanks for having me. Of course.